This is Intertractional, an exploration of Star Trek through an intersectional feminist lens. Star Trek is both a reflection of our society and an aspiration for our future. The stories it tells shape our world. Intersectionality explores intersecting forms of oppression and how they affect individuals with compound identities. Star Trek is for feminists. Just before we get started, I am recording in my bedroom, which I don't normally do, and it is on a busy street, so there may be some road noise in this episode, for which I apologize in advance. <laughs> All right, we're here. We're doing it. Woohoo! Yeah. Hi, Becca. Hi, Ryan. Hi, Intertrekkies. I-, I think we also wanted to talk a little bit about our new release schedule, which we sort of addressed two episodes ago, but not really fully. Um, Becca, what did you want to say about that? What I wanted to say is that we both have a lot more going on in our lives right now than we did when we started making this podcast. This was kind of like when we started making it, we were both at a point in time in our lives that we didn't have really any other stuff going on. And now we have a lot of other stuff going on. Yes. So yeah, I hope that everybody who's listening is content with the new schedule. It's definitely working better for us. <laughs> yeah, this schedule just gives us more room to breathe. It's hard when your fun activity that isn't paying you the way a full-time job is starts to feel like it has the stress of a full-time job. It's hard for it to still be enjoyable. Right. It seems like we're releasing a little bit more often than once a month, like maybe once every three weeks. So you guys might get a surprise early episode. Yeah, that's the other thing is we're kind of giving up having any sort of this is the day and this is the time at which we release. I'm basically, we're going to release the episodes when they're ready. (laughs) If you follow us on Facebook or Instagram, or maybe one day eventually Twitter, um, we should be able to give you some warning when episodes are coming out. So, you know, just keep following us on Intertractional. It's like at Intertractional anywhere you would look. Yeah. And really the easiest way to make sure that you're getting all of our episodes is to subscribe. It's pretty simple. I'm actually pregnant right now. Yay! Yeah. Now that I'm past the halfway mark, I feel comfortable saying that on air. Um... And uh, I've had a really rough pregnancy. I have uh, something called hyperemesis gravidarum, which is basically extreme morning sickness that um, can and has uh, landed me in the hospital. And even on days when it's going well, I feel uh, pretty sick most of the time. Um, It's actually been better the last two weeks because we have adjusted uh, my treatment plan. But for a while, I was just laying in bed all day feeling very sick and uh, also feeling bored on top of that. So I started listening to the podcast, The Delta Flyers, which is sort of a a pandemic podcast born out of boredom (laughs) run by Garrett Wang, who plays Ensign Harry Kim and Robert Duncan McNeil, who plays Tom Paris on Voyager. They're doing an episode-by-episode recap of Voyager that comes out (laughs) every week. It's surprisingly feminist for a show that's run by two men in their 50s. Uh, They often note women's issues. They very often note racial issues in the show. 
And they give an interesting perspective. Like you get a lot of behind the scenes knowledge, which is, I think, probably the main value added um, of listening to their podcast versus anyone else's is they can tell you like what they remember from set Mm -hmm. and just like interesting tidbits. But Robert McNeil is also a director. So he gives you a lot of insight into how he feels like shots were set up or whether or not he thinks the directing is effective. Um, They talk a lot about Chakotay and uh, just different ways that race is portrayed in the show. And I think they're doing a good job. It's good. I'm like, I'm glad to hear that they are doing it in a way that feels like they're addressing race and gender. It's it's just it's surprising. It's not the goal of their show, but they definitely pay attention to those things. So if you want more track to listen to in your earballs. Uh, I recommend this podcast. Uh, not that they need my help. They're both mildly famous-ish. Yeah. So we have prepared a pandemic panoply for you all today. <laughs> we have a lot of ground to cover. <laughs> we watched a lot of plague and pandemic and like just general illness-related episodes. So we're going TNG, The Naked Now, Enterprise, and the episode Bounty, Voyager, The Phage, DS9, The Quickening, Voyager, Macrocosm, and then The Albatross, which is the animated series. And that's everything. Sweet. Maybe what we can do is just do like a very brief, like, here's what you need to know about the episode when we're about to talk about it. Yeah. So what episode are we talking about first, Becca? We're talking about The Naked Now. Yeah, we're talking about The Naked Now, The Next Generation, Season 1, Episode 3. I feel like it's Episode 2, but it's because... Um, Encounter at Farpoint is a double episode. Yeah. So it's it's like the first non-pilot episode. Would you like to tell us what happens? They they just jump right into sexy time. Yes. <laughs> um, so what happens in this episode is the crew of the Enterprise NCC 1701D are uh, coming down with some illness that makes them act drunk and horny. And everybody on the ship like succumbs to this eventually. Notable things that happen are that Tasha Yar and Data Bone mm-hmm. and Crusher like hits on Picard mm-hmm. and Wesley saves the day somehow, even though he's also drunk. Yeah. And it's a it's an illness that's like a modified water molecule that's a direct descendant from the original series. Uh, where, in fact, Dr. Crusher is like, oh, I found this in the medical database. It happened to the other Enterprise. Uh, And she thinks that she has a cure, but then it doesn't actually work, and she has to find a new one. And anyway, it's it's amazing. That's actually one of my criticisms of this episode, is Dr. Crusher does not figure that out. Um. Will Riker figures that out and then tells her, even though she's the doctor. So this episode, I figured out upon rewatching, and that's more of a writing problem, but I figured out upon rewatching that this episode is responsible for why I hated the Crushers uh, mm. during my first watch of 
The Next Generation, they've grown on me, but for a long time, I hated both Beverly and Wesley. (laughs) And I've tried to figure out why, because people really like them. Um, Not Wesley as much, but anyone who grew up with Wesley likes Wesley. And I was just like, why did I hate them so much? And it's like, one... Beverly is like basically useless in this episode. Like, so she doesn't even figure that out. Will Riker figures that out and tells her. And then she's like, great, I basically have a cure. And then like 15 minutes later in the episode, Picard comes back and is like, have you tested that cure? And she's like, not yet. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you haven't even fucked. And then when she tests it, it doesn't work and she has to revise it. I'm like, it would have been great if you'd gotten to that earlier. And there's like no, and you think maybe she's helping other patients, but they didn't put any extras in sick bay it's still just Jordy sitting there and i'm like what the fuck is going on in this ep-? like come on beverly uh and then wesley um proving that drunken teenagers are always worse than regular drunk people <laughs> which we know from the real world accurate <laughs> True to um, life. <laughs> wesley gets drunk everyone else is getting drunk and they're just kind of like hooking up or partying in the hallway or getting dizzy and falling asleep and just (laughs) being generally shitty at their jobs. And Wesley's like, you know what? I'm going to take over the ship. (laughs) Yeah. And which he does fairly easily just with like voice recordings of Picard calling various people to the bridge. Oh, Wesley. Somehow he gets Picard to say like Wesley Crusher's now the captain and he uses some science experiment in order to like actually take over the controls of the ship. The same science experiment later saves the day because there's a threat from some sort of asteroid or or something. It's not important because it doesn't have as much to do with the sickness, which is what we want to talk about. Yes. I have some notes on the trajectory that the sickness takes. Let's hear it. Okay. So, So first they go over to this other ship where everyone has died and is like frozen and they're not wearing any PPE. They're just fucking touching everything. (laughs) They come back and the transporter doesn't filter out the virus, which is apparently one of the transporter's jobs. Mm -hmm. Jordy isn't feeling well, so he goes to sickbay where he's just kind of like sweaty and rude to people. And Beverly's (laughs) like, well, there's nothing wrong with him. I can't find there's no he doesn't he doesn't have a virus. So even though he's obviously sick. They just kind of, like, let him start to wander around. Mm. He ends up back in sickbay later, but he's just, like, touching everybody. Everyone's touching him. So Tasha touches Jordy, which is when she gets sick. Um, She then touches Data, who also gets sick because he apparently has pores. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his positronic network somehow has water involved in it. Which I don't know that they ever talk about again, but he does get this, he he gets to be, uh, like, he, like, cracks his smile in this episode. (laughs) And we learn that he's fully functional. Yes. He has a really great line where he's like, Picard is like, Data, how could you possibly have caught this? And Data's like, if you prick me, do I not leak? (laughs) 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 it's amazing so quarantine protocols non-existent non-existent and then at one point um 
Will Riker, who keeps it together longer than anyone else on the ship. Probably because he's used to being drunk. Probably he's got high tolerance. Like, even at a certain point, he's like, oh, no, I'm coming down with this. And he still acts very sober. (laughs) He discovers Deanna in the hallway and picks her up and carries her. This, like, great show of masculinity. He, like, carries her like a baby to sickbay. Wow, yeah. And uh, sets her down. And he doesn't catch it then because I think he's touched her clothing and not her skin. Mm. Um, but Beverly's worried that he got it because he shows up and she's like, oh, no, you touched her and you touched me. Oh, no. And I'm just like, wait, you know, it spreads through touch. Like, you've never mentioned that to anyone before. Why are you telling Riker? Why don't you make a message telling the rest of the ship to stop touching each other? She does none of that. Mm. Instead, she tries to lecture Riker and get him to stay in sick bay at which point he's like i can't my job's too important i gotta go save the ship which i thought was very like essential worker of him mm. yeah i like that essential worker angle like some people really do need to keep going to their jobs but they're i think that's what's missing is the announcement to the whole ship that it's contagious through touch and only people who are essential should be working. Everybody else should be quarantining in their bunks or wherever they are. And yeah, it's it's from our perspective, like living through a pandemic and knowing the ways that we really need to keep to ourselves and prevent our breath from getting on to other people. Like, come on, people of the 24th century. <laughs> We've learned enough, haven't we? Yeah, and like even with us, it's like uh it took us it took a while before there was messaging that it was basically airborne and or spread via droplets from your breath and before there was scientific consensus hmm. that that's what was happening. But before then, when they weren't sure how it was being spread, we were all told, don't touch each other. <laughs> Don't touch your face. Wash your hands. Don't touch surfaces. And like no one on the ship is doing any of those things. They're all just constantly touching each other and then touching their faces. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that this like very poor PPE and other like quarantine measures is a theme in all of the episodes that we watched, mm-hmm. except for maybe the Enterprise one. Um, yeah. And one of the things that it made me think about is how sometimes, like, the advancement of technology lulls you into a false sense of security. Like, they trust that the transporter is going to protect them from any virus or biological t- contaminants. And so, when it doesn't, they are not prepared and they do not have the m- measures in place. If they were routinely worrying about this, then they would probably act very differently. Yes. I, I think uh, looking at the episode through that lens, which I think you're very right to suggest, uh, Beverly is overly, overly reliant on her tricorder. Even though Jordy in front of her is clearly sick, her tricorder says that he doesn't have anything. Mm-hmm. So she lets him go. 
Right. Instead of like looking at what's in front of her with her own eyes and deciding to quarantine him. Yeah. Yeah, you come to rely on things and then you stop trusting your own instincts or really even remembering that you can't, that you do have analytical tools, which are your eyes and your other senses. Mm -hmm. But the thing that I was going to say, and I think we're probably going to talk about this a little bit later, is that I think that like technology advancing to a place where things seem safe and then us forgetting that there's like practical measures that we need to be putting into place is... Uh, probably the genesis of the anti-vaxxer movement, mm, mm-hmm. um, which is something that you wanted to talk about in the context of one of these other episodes. So Absolutely. I'll just leave that there for now. But um, I see these threads. Yeah, yeah. And I do want to say, so I know some of you are big fans of the original series. Um, I also watched the original series episode, but I they're so similar that I felt like we should only talk about one of them. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're interested, go watch it. It's also a fun time. It's called the Naked Time instead of the Naked Now. <laughs> um, but the one the one difference is so they go down to a planet instead of a ship, and everyone on the station on the planet is dead. But they all wear PPE, mm. I think, unless they're supposed to be space suits. It's hard to tell because, like, their costumes are so cheap. <laughs> but they're all wearing these, like, orange head-to-toe things that cover their bodies and their heads. And the first guy who gets the virus takes off his glove, touches something, and then puts his hand under his mask and scratches his nose. Oh, no. And the show is very clear. Like, they have a little musical flourish when he does it, so you know that this is, like, has meaning. So the show is very clear. This isn't me. This is the show being like, that is the moment he got the virus. And you're like, oh. So, um... I appreciated that in the 60s, they were like, don't touch your face. (laughs) And and like wear coverings when you're going into an unknown, biologically contaminated, possibly like situation. Yeah, this is like 100 years later. And they're like, everyone on the ship is dead. Clearly some bad shit happened. Let's just go over in our normal ass outfits. Let's go breathe. (laughs) Fucking touch all the dead bodies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Wear your masks, people. Yeah, which made me think about compliance, you know? It's like, even though they're doing all the things Mm. in the 2260s, that guy still took off his mask to scratch his nose. Yeah. I mean, I get it. I've been trying to wear my mask, and I, I wear it outside consistently. And then sometimes, like, I get really, really sweaty. Mm-hmm. And I need to take it off for a minute. And at that point in time, I'm like, well, this is what I need to be able to breathe. But it also means that I am putting more possible dangerous particles out into the world. <clears throat> it sucks. I know. It's really it's really hard. I try to be empathetic because I know everyone has all the... We still have to, like, live our lives as best we can. And, like, especially now that I'm pregnant, I'm getting out of breath more when mm. I walk around with my dog and I have to, like, pull off my mask. But I try to do it when I don't see other people around. Yeah. Yeah, same. <sighs> this, like, extra sweatiness is also... So I have a thyroid condition that is mm. as yet undiagnosed, like, 
what specifically it is, but we definitely know enough that I do. And one of the many weird symptoms is just like being sweatier. <laughs> I'm like, I'm not usually a sweaty person, so I notice it and I'm very upset about it. Oh, <laughs> just like Jordy. Just like Jordy. That kind of reminds me, um, before we move on, I have some intertractions from this episode. Yeah. Uh, so this is a little upsetting, but Jordy's drunkenness mostly manifests in him lamenting being blind. Oh. Which he brings up to a few people that he wants to take off his visor and be able to see for real. And... Uh, it's just, especially given the direction his character goes in when he almost never is all, he's always like, I'm different, but I'm great. I've got this technology that I appreciate, whatever. And even when Q offers him sight, he's like, nah. And in this very early episode, they clearly didn't have quite a handle on it. And mm. for him to just get drunk and then be really depressed that he's blind is a uh, kind of a sad message to send the general public and to blind people who might have been watching this. Absolutely. So uh, I didn't I didn't like that. Yeah. There's a really good recent episode of Women at Warp where they talk about that and like a lot of other kind of bodies that are othered and the oh. experience of them on Star Trek. So nice. I recommend going and listening to that episode if you're interested in a more deep dive about that particular topic. The other sort of intertraction in this episode is just Tasha's sexuality. Yes. You know, she's a more butch-presenting woman. And other than her going after Data, um, I often think of her as, like, an early lesbian on Star Trek. Mm. <laughs> Mostly because of that haircut, which isn't fair. You can have any haircut you want and be gay. <laughs> yes. But her late 80s, early 90s bull cut, like, has, you know, like, classic lesbian hair vibes. And uh, she's interested in this episode when she gets drunk in letting her guard down and being more feminine, which she says something to Deanna about wanting to borrow her clothes. And then later on, she's in this sexy outfit that's basically just like a scarf that's holding up her breasts <laughs> and mm -hmm. when she hits on data she comments to him that he's soft and gentle and not threatening so she feels like she can be safe and sexy with him mm -hmm. um because she's had sexual violence in her past which is just like this crazy moment of like emotional vulnerability and like talking about consent and talking about the different way, like ways women might be attracted to men who are not masculine, just in the middle of this like very goofy episode, it was like this moment of seriousness mm -hmm. um, that I just thought was really notable. Yeah, I've always been fascinated by that scene because it, to me, it is very jarring in a way that she goes from being like, "Please make out with me," I was like chased around by rape gangs as a child to like let's bone and on the one hand i'm like this is not like a logical progression from point a to point b no. but at the same time i do think that it is very important to talk to your sexual partners about the trauma that you've experienced 
so that they can be prepared in case like something triggers you. Yeah, it feels both realistic and unrealistic at the same time. I'm like, it probably wouldn't be brushed past that quickly. But if you've had sexual trauma, it is going to come up even in situations that you want to be in. It's mm. like still going to be present. Mm-hmm. Um like, not necessarily every single time. I'm not, like, making a blanket statement. But, like, that happens. Yeah. And, yeah, I also just, like, I like I like this version of heterosexuality where there's, like, a strong woman and kind of a weak man. Even though Data is technically very strong as an android, he's such a gentle soul. <laughs> and he's very sort of delicate and feminine in certain ways. He's definitely not portrayed in any at any point in time as being like sexually aggressive. Yeah. 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 So I liked that sort of role reversal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is very funny to see Brent Spiner flip <laughs> from being so robotic to being like very horny. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Also, I am obsessed with the pants that she wears in that scene i do not understand how they are such a like deep v between her hips and her like pubic area i don't i'm like is it taped on i feel like they must be taped on i was so focused on the boob scarf that i didn't notice what (laughs) pants she was wearing i was like how is that scarf holding her boobs up i don't get it (laughs) the outfit defies gravity it does in many ways yes (laughs) yes i'll have to go back and look at the pants they're they're great they're like really flowy kind of transparent harem pants they're (laughs) top notch Mm, future cosplay for becca (laughs) i mean so I wanted to to pivot to talking about Enterprise in general. Yeah. Um, Enterprise as a show seems to be the only show that is really, that follows any kind of disease protocol and uh, that, that takes contamination seriously. And like part of it we're supposed to understand is because this is a hundred years before the original series. So they... They're te- they have transporters, but they don't have as much knowledge of all the different kinds of illnesses that are out there. And, and you don't really, they don't seem to rely on their transporters for decontamination. Um, the show itself uses this decontamination room basically as an excuse to like make all their characters wear their underwear and rub themselves. Yes. <laughs> it, it happens like. At least in the first season, it happens like every episode. It, it uh-huh. happens more sp- like spread out after that. But basically, they get into this room, they wear their underwear and like a tank top or a sports bra, and then they rub like what looks like KY jelly onto themselves. <laughs> and, um, each and, off- and each other. Often they help each other. And it's very sexy and somewhat discomforting. <laughs> Depending on like whether you're just gonna go with it or whether you're like they're sexually objectifying the women, but they, you know, they put the men there too. And it's just like, I don't know what's going on until I started looking at these episodes from a pandemic perspective. And I was like, at least they're doing something. Mm-hmm. 
And there's one particular episode where you finally find out why the decontamination chamber is necessarily. And it's the season two episode Bounty. And it's actually the B plot in this episode. The A plot is, I don't even remember. It's about something completely different. So this is just what's happening on the side. It gets less time. Hmm. Um, But to Paul, who's the sexy lady Vulcan, and Phlox, who's the Denobulan alien doctor, they uh, go down to a planet and come back. And somehow they get quarantined because they brought some sort of microbe back with them. And the first gel doesn't get it off, so they try a different decontamination gel. It's still there, and neither of them have any symptoms. They're not sick, but they have to be quarantined in this chamber, which I forget, but it was like 12 or 18 hours. It was like at least half a day that they had to stay Hmm. there just to make sure that they weren't going to get sick, which I thought was like, oh, the show is using the word quarantine correctly it's not just when you are sick it's like if you've been exposed to something you have to take these measures um the show then goes off the rails the microbe somehow triggers pon far into paul which is when (laughs) which is when vulcans go through the heat they have every seven years, but it's, like, too early for her. But basically, T'Pol gets super horny and, like, spends the rest of the episode trying to get Dr. Phlox to sleep with her <laughs> and, like, uh, wreathing around on the ground and, like, touching him and sexually harassing him. And it's very much like the episode quickly goes from being interesting from an epidemic perspective to being kind of inappropriately sexy (laughs) and problematic (laughs) yet more workplace sexual harassment (laughs) yes yes uh but there were a few things i i really liked that like no matter what was going on with her they were like you cannot leave this room um Mm -hmm. you cannot infect the rest of the ship and she's saying things that reminded me so much of like the shit that people are doing now during the pandemic where she was just like look I'm just going to go from here to my quarters. I'm just going to walk down the hallway. I'm going to go from here to my quarters. I'll be more comfortable there. I could, like, presumably she wanted to meditate there or, I don't know, masturbate or I don't know. She wanted to get to, she just, like, wanted to leave. And she was, like, trying to be like, look, I can get to my quarters. And he was, like, even if he was going to believe her that she was really going to her quarters, he was, like, you cannot. I'm not going to jump on trip. And not going to jump on trip, which is probably her plan. (laughs) Um, They were still like, you'll expose everybody just by walking through the hallway. So I liked how the show, like, even if she doesn't touch anybody, the show was like, maybe this is airborne. Like, maybe the microbe's going to jump off your body and get to someone else. And the idea that you can just, like, people are like, well, you know... Everything you're doing for the pandemic is fine, but I'm just going to get on this plane and go to another state and then be there and it'll be fine. Mm. And it's Mm. just these little allowances and the kind of like mental gymnastics to be like, well, I'm going to take this one risk, but it's okay." reminded me of like the kind of logic that quote unquote logic that to Paul was using to try to convince Phlox. Yeah. 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 Sorry to send hate your way if you've gotten on a plane. 
I've heard that planes themselves are safe. It just seems to be all the other steps between getting to the plane and like getting back to your house. That seems a little a little much. Um, yeah, it's a rough time, but yeah, limiting your travel and limiting the like you are going from p- place to other place and taking whatever germs were in your place to that other place. It's like, it's just increasing the risk. And at the same time, I I don't begrudge people who are doing that because we do need to keep living our lives and we can't just stop everything for nine months. Yeah. Yeah, so do what you can, balance it out. Yeah, but just to acknowledge that things are a risk, I think, is like, is this a risk? Am I taking a risk? Why is this risk worth it? I guess is more than more what I want to say. I don't want to. I'm on the more extreme end of like being careful among the people I know. And I think among even like people who are taking it seriously. And part of it is like, I'm an anxious person to begin with, and part of it's that I'm pregnant. So if you're listening to this and I call out anything that you've actually done, I still love you as a person and as a listener, and don't just turn off the podcast, please. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mean to offend you. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard, but it's important to know what the risks are. Yes. Yes. Um, if you want some closure, she eventually just waits out the period of Ponfar and they, they get a hypo spray in her and uh, everything works out okay. Uh, uh, okay, okay. What's next up on your list? Um, up next, you are going to talk about the phage. Yes. All right. So the phage is a season one Voyager episode. It is also the disease that the Vidians have and the Vidians are a recurring villain in Voyager for the first few seasons. Um, And so instead of talking about that episode specifically that's called The Phage, which is a fantastic episode and you should go watch it. Bolana gets like split into a human half and a Klingon half. Other hijinks happen. It's great. Um, But the thing that I wanted to talk about with The Phage is that it's this endemic problem in the Vidian population where they are highly likely at some point in their lifetime to contract this illness. And it kills organs in their body seemingly at random. And the Vidians have not found a way to cure or vaccinate against or like really mitigate this illness in any way except to uh, capture beings of other races mm-hmm. and harvest their organs. <sighs> it's so gruesome. And what really struck me about it is how this is pre- it's presented as something that is so gruesome that it could only be done by this like like alien species that has no moral or ethical grounding that is like just decided that every other sentient being in the universe is uh grounds for like harvesting organs and not 
beings in their own right who deserve autonomy and, you know, to not be hunted for body parts. Um, And what it connected to for me is the horrors that have occurred in the past in human history uh, where people have taken body parts and organs from other human beings. And I was particularly reminded about um, George Washington's dentures that are made from the teeth of his slaves. Did you learn, did you learn when you were a child that they were made of wood? Yes. A hundred percent. Yes. What the fuck? Yeah. No, this is a thing that children are just walking around being like, yeah, that guy had dentures before we knew what, how to make like enamel. Everything was cool. They were made out of wood. They were, I mean, maybe he had a pair that were made out of wood, but he definitely had a pair of dentures that were just like, rip out that guy's molar because I need a molar. Mm-hmm. <sighs> His like temporary pair while he was waiting for the slave teeth to get put together was like made out of wood. <laughs> like... Uh, like I had a I had a temporary <laughs> crown recently until my real crown was finished getting made. He had the wood pair for like a week, and that's what ends up in the history books. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm. These kind of erasures of history are rampant and always favor white men and people who are like persistently in power. And another example of this um, is that there's a there's a man. Sims, who I forget what his two first names are, but his last name is Sims. He's known as the father of modern gynecology. And the way that he became so like well known in this field is by experimenting and performing surgeries on a group of slaves of his that were female. And they did not have anesthesia at that time, or at least it was like very new. So none of these surgeries were performed under anesthetics. One of the women had like something like 12 or 15 surgeries done on her (sighs) over her lifetime. And um, not only were they the subjects of his experimentation, they were also his like lab assistants effectively. Like they had a hand in this, a development of a particular treatment that is uh, I forget what it's called but basically it arises from people who are in labor for a very long time they get a particular condition and it makes labor very painful makes it unlikely you could possibly die from labor so he developed a treatment in fact they developed a treatment Mm. for this particular condition that was popping up a lot more commonly in the enslaved populations because they were being forced to have pregnancy after pregnancy after pregnancy. Yeah, and having pregnancies too close together is dangerous. Yeah, exactly. And so their their names have only recently been uncovered. Their names were Lucy, Anarka, and Betsy. And we, you know, they don't even have last names because they didn't... I was reading this Atlantic article and we'll we'll link to this in the show notes, but it's just really upsetting because when this kind of first came to light in our mod on our current history was around 1978 
And the American Association of of Obstetrics and Gynecology had like a conference where they were talking about what do we do about now that we know that this guy was performing really horrific surgeries on his slaves without their consent, they like at least a few people at that convention were like, I stand with him. Like, he he is the father of our modern gynecology. It doesn't matter that he did this horrible, like, terrible thing. And, like, one of them donated a lot of money in order to have a seat uh, in his name at a school of gynecology. Oh, God. And it's so it's just, like, not only do these types of things, like, get lost to history because, like, revisionist history is real... But when they come to light and they're part of the conversation, people will will entrench mm-hmm. in their belief that what they what horrible thing that happened in the past was like okay and justifiable, which and, isn't necessary in order to. It's like the science is still good. You still have to probably take whatever life saving measures you've learned from the science and like treat women with them. But it's not necessary to make that person a hero in order to use the science that he discovered or that they discovered. Exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not saying that we need to throw out the like field of gynecology because this one guy sucks. But it's important to acknowledge what actually happened in history so that we can see the repercussions of it down through till today. Mm-hmm. So... That's where my mind went when I was <laughs> on the Vidians. Yeah. This example that Becca has given in like full color is not the only example of stuff like this happening, especially to people with marginalized bodies uh, throughout medical history. Yeah. There is a lot of this type of thing happening in medical history. You know, experimentation on Jews during the Holocaust is also a thing that happened. Mm-hmm. And, um, also check out the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks. Like a stem cell line of hers is instrumental in developing a lot of modern treatments, but these cells were removed from her body without her consent. Um, and like we probably wouldn't even know her name if it wasn't for the work of people who are like really looking at history and being like, okay, we need to get we, we need to identify the women and like the non-white dudes who were also instrumental in this because it is a fiction to think that it's only white dudes. Yes. Who have achieved things in history. <laughs> yes. Good rant. Thank you. Back to Star Trek. Back to Star Trek. Uh, so we also watched uh, a uh, Deep Space Nine episode called The Quickening. Mm-hmm. Um. Which is at the point where they have a stable wormhole. They're just going to the gamma quadrant on all kinds of missions all the time. Yeah. So in this episode, The Quickening, um, Bashir and Dax go to this planet specifically because they have had this illness that is perpetuating itself in the population. And Bashir is... Uh, arrogant enough that he thinks that he can solve it when it's not been something that's been solvable in the past. And I believe it was also introduced into their population by the Dominion. So they're like, we're at war with the Dominion. We're going to try to heal this illness that they've they've caused. Mm-hmm. He starts like collecting 
people that he, that have the quickening. Oh, I just wanted to say um, the illness is called the blight. Oh. And it's called the quickening when it goes from being just chronic to something that's going to kill them pretty soon. Yes. Thank you. There's a woman who's pregnant. She and there's like some stuff going on with the guy who kind of runs like a death cult sort of. Yeah, there's a, a character who um, he's like the only alternative and they basically go to him for euthanasia. Yeah. Um, and he's got a lot of money because like people have come to him a lot so he can provide you like a nice bed and a warm shower and like a place to have a good meal. And you basically have like a really sick, luxurious week where mm. you party with your family and then he gives you something that will kill you before the disease gets really painful. Yes. Um, yeah. So he, he's undoubtedly doing a good thing, but Julian kind of sees him as the enemy and he sees Julian as the enemy. He's like running around being like, don't try to give these people false hope. Yeah. The So the rest of the episode is essentially Dr. Bashir like trying to find a cure for this illness. He inadvertently kills some people because his equipment is causing it to mutate. He does not succeed in finding a cure, but he does succeed in finding a vaccine mm -hmm. that will work on fetuses in utero. Yeah. So the next generation of these people will be born and be inoculated against this illness, the blight. But anybody who's currently living is still going to have to deal with it. Yeah, basically the only person who sticks with him is the pregnant woman. And she's like not at all getting better, but also not dying. And then eventually when she gives birth, her baby is like totally fine. Mm-hmm. Um, you only assume that she dies after that, but they don't show her death in the episode, which is kind. Yeah. So in this one, we felt that it was it was interesting and notable that the the distinction between a vaccine and a cure is made and like very clear. Um, and I think that this is a thing that often gets conflated is that a vaccine is the same thing as a cure. It is not. You can get vaccinated against something that you haven't contracted yet, and therefore your immune system will be able to fight it off if it if you do get the active virus. Um, but vaccines are not effective at treating people who already have contracted the live virus and are suffering symptoms and, you know, um, potentially up even into death, like that's not a thing that can be curtailed by a vaccine. Yeah. And like the therapy he was giving them was an antigen therapy. And like, I'm not a science person, but from what I understand, an antigen is something your body develops in an immune response to a disease. Yes. And it's something that we've tried with COVID that has some success, but even when it has success, it is not a cure. Mm -hmm. So it seems like they can give antigen antigens from people who have the disease, have had the disease and survived to people who have an active case of COVID, and it will help them be less severe, but it is not curing them. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was an interesting tie into what's going na on now. Mm -hmm. I also liked that this episode 
uh, showed a doctor coming up with a cure that took longer than like three hours, <laughs> which is <laughs> usually what happens in Star Trek is like they work for several hours, and then they have a cure or like maybe a few days. Um, yeah. And he was down there for weeks and never found a cure, only found a vaccine. Um, I tried to look up because I wanted to talk more about the process of making a vaccine. Um, so I tried to look up how long does it take to make a vaccine? And the answer I found was like so upsetting. It was like many vaccines can take between 10 to 15 years to develop, mm. which mm-hmm. is clearly not what we want right now. Um, this sort of it, and part of that is because of the rigorous testing um, that goes on. Um, so in Star Trek, often they create a cure or a vaccine or a treatment and they just give it to the first person. And then it, because they're in a crisis, if it works, then they just start giving it to everybody. Whereas in real life, you need to do a controlled trial um, with a group of people and then give the other group of people not the vaccine and Mm -hmm. see if it makes any difference. Um, And it seems like the vaccine development process has like at least has like three trial stages and at least two or three developmental stages before that. And after that, then you have to produce it. So even in an accelerated timeline that we have right now where they're sort of skipping or accelerating steps or having like a lower standard so that we can get one faster it still takes like at least a year yep we'll link to something about that um that sort of says it in better science words than what i just used (laughs) Um, that was good (laughs) i'm impressed is that all for the quickening that's all for that's all i have should we talk about macrocosm Oh, yes. Oh, my God. Macrocosm. (laughs) This is like the first one that I thought of when we were like, let's do a pandemic episode. I was like, what about the one where there's a giant virus chasing people around Voyage? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. This episode is bonkers. Um, It is basically Janeway being like a Bruce Willis style action hero fighting a virus that is also giant bugs on the ship. Yes. Um, in a tank top. And uh, everybody else is incapacitated by this virus. I remember a few seasons ago, we were trying to figure out if Janeway was ever shirtless. Like, did she ever run around in <laughs> yes. a in a sports bra? And, like, this was definitely the episode I thought of. But she, there's no midriff. It's just the tank top. But it has the same kind of energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love her in this episode. She gets a lot of the action is, like, just her... And these bugs. So there's not a lot of dialogue. It's very suspenseful. And I really, I really love that Janeway gets to be this like action thriller hero. I love it. Yeah, I I recommend watching this. Um, I did kind of write out a summary. Yeah, read it. Neelix and Janeway return from an away mission to find most of the crew passed out. And the ship is overrun with giant flying creatures, which are actually macro viruses. Neelix is incapacitated and Janeway runs around the ship in her tank top with a giant gun until she finds the doctor who explains to her what has happened. They ran into a mining colony 
which was fighting a virus and asked for help. The doctor beamed down. He's very excited that he can beam places now because he has his mobile emitter mm-hmm. and uh, to try to treat them. And then when he comes back, he takes the virus with him, even though he is not a biological life form. Um, the virus when it attacks people, it creates an orifice on their neck, which then emits a life form that looks like a fly and then grows larger every minute until it's this like big two to three foot thing that can fly around and chase people. The aliens that Janeway met with in the beginning of the episode come back, discover that Voyager's overrun with a macro virus and threaten to blow them up. Mm. She convinces them to wait an hour. She and the doctor come up with a plan, which is to distract all the viruses with holodeck characters, which attract the viruses because they admit light, which the viruses think is like mistake for like the, a body heat. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they treat the whole ship with an antigen bomb, which cures everyone and kills all the big viruses. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the whole thing. The thing that I really wanted to talk about in this episode was that the doctor assumes that just because he can't get sick, that there is that he's completely immune, that there's no reason that he shouldn't go down to help these this people in this infected colony. Um, even though he's not a human being, he still brings the virus back with him. Um, and it's just sort of this this arrogance of thinking that you understand how everything works and taking these unnecessary risks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that that's a real it's a real key point here where the doctor is like, well, I'm not I'm not a biological being, so I'm not at risk. And it's true. He himself was not at risk, but he did bring it back in the transporter with him. I think it starts out by like infecting the gel packs and then hops over to humans or whatever. Oh, you're right. Yeah. Um, Pandemic wise, the thing that I thought that was interesting, and maybe it was you who were talking about this, actually, but the um, the people who come that you were mentioning this like alien race who are very sensitive to like body gestures, apparently, which I thought was a cool kind of like cultural interchange thing. Um, But they like really want to destroy Voyager Mm -hmm. because they have witnessed this um, virus decimate other populations and like are very cautious about it being introduced into their population. I thought it was an interesting commentary on like how different like organizing bodies of humans interact with others that are carrying an illness yeah yeah that they were just like you guys are like too far gone we're just gonna blow up your ship um which obviously has downsides right like you're killing people the cost of life but it's just this other extreme it's like on the one end the doctor assumes he's immune and on the other end these people are so afraid of the virus getting out that they're willing to sacrifice everyone who's sick and not try to treat them just to protect themselves Mm -hmm. yeah and i think we were talking about how like that race they they sort of had like a lot of like 
sign language and like hand and body gestures and we sort of like they don't really spell it out in the episode but we suspected that this developed um because they're afraid of getting sick so they're a culture that doesn't touch each other mm-hmm. yeah kind of like the vulcan salute that like they and i think even like their greeting and like their their exit greeting is like be in good health Mm-hmm. which is at the beginning of the episode, which you're like, huh, okay, whatever. And then you're like, oh, this is a culture that's seen a lot of illness. Yeah, yeah. And they've really adapted it into how they interact. Yeah, so I think my my two kind of things that are relevant to us is one, um, don't assume just because you are at low risk for getting sick that you can't pass the virus on to other people. Mm-hmm. You know, like I'm in my 30s, like I have cousins who are in their 20s, and they're kind of like, well, you know, even if I get sick, it's not going to be a big deal. But it's like you might give it to somebody else on the bus or you might give it to your grandma. Or just because the doctor can't get sick doesn't mean he can't infect the whole ship. Um, right. Then the mining colony... And this is just sort of a blip in the episode, but it really stuck out to me. They at first were like, well, we're sick, but it's not that serious. But if we don't stop it, we're going to have to shut down mining operations. Mm. So their concern, more so than for their own health, is for the economy. Mm -hmm. And like... um, of course, if you run out of money, you might die. And I know a lot of people now are like worried about like their businesses failing and like those things are sort of related to existential questions a few steps away. Like if you don't have money, you can't eat, you lose your house, you die, it's bad. Mm -hmm. Um, But they're less concerned with this more immediate threat of the thing that actually might kill them today than they are with like, what happens if my business fails? Yeah. It's such a blip in the episode, they don't really explore it. But it given what we're all going through, I found it notable. I think that is notable. And I think it's there's a parallel to that in the episode The Quickening, where this population has been devastated by the blight, and everybody that you encounter, except for the guy who's running the death cult, like basically everybody is destitute. Yeah. They they live in kind of shanty towns. They don't really seem to be able to like have employment, which makes sense. They're ill. Um but there's no, ob- except for Dr. Bashir and Dax coming, there's no obvious, like, aid being offered. It's just, <sighs> if if people with wealth uh, don't step in or governments with wealth don't step in, like, this is a possible trajectory. Like, people can't do their normal lives and be sick and prevent each other from getting sick it's just it's not possible for all of those things to exist at the same time yeah and if i remember correctly it's also a reason they don't trust julian at first is they assume that he's trying to cure them um and that he's offering the cure in exchange for money Mm -hmm. and so they're like this is just a bunch of bullshit to get something from us and he's like no no i'm doing it for free but it's so foreign to them that he would do something out of the goodness of his heart because he comes from the socialist society yes yeah <laughs> they're like what's it gonna cost me yeah yeah the last episode we watched is uh the animated series the albatross which is in season two 
the albat- an albatross is a bird, but it's also a reference from a poem by Samuel Taylor Coleridge called The Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. Hmm. And if you ever have time, I recommend reading it or maybe just an abridged version of it. It's a really great poem. I read it in college. Um, and it rhymes. It is a rhyme. <laughs> but anyway, basically what happens in this poem is uh, an albatross is good luck. And there's an albatross following the ship. And the mariner shoots the albatross. And everyone on the ship is like, what the fuck, dude? You just cursed us. And he's like, nah, curses aren't real. Except apparently they are. And they all die except for hit. Sorry, spoiler alert. I'm going to spoil the rhyme of the ancient mariner. Uh oh. <laughs> Everyone dies except for him. And he watches them all die. He watches them all get very sick. They run out of fresh water. Like the wind stops blowing. All these terrible things happen. And then even after he, they all die, he imagines that they're still talking to him through their dead bodies. It's like really horrific. Hmm. And, uh, and he's the one telling the story at the end. So he's, it's him living with this survivor's guilt. Hmm. So an albatross in popular culture is often like guilt that's around your neck. Um, cause they hang the bird around his neck. Uh, um, it's something you've done that you're carrying with you, or it's like a sign of bad luck. Yay. Love it. Thank you for that little, like, literary lesson. Yeah. <laughs> I spent weeks on that stupid poem in uh, in uh, in college. I'm glad I can summarize it in, like, two minutes now. <laughs> Nicely done. <laughs> so in this episode, the Enterprise brings medical supplies to a planet called Dramia. The Dramians use this as a ruse to arrest Dr. McCoy for mass murder. Mm. What? (laughs) Apparently, 19 years ago, hundreds of people died in a plague on Dramia 2, which we later find out is like the population of the whole planet of Dramia 2. So apparently only hundreds of people lived on this planet. Um, Following a mass inoculation program uh, by the Federation to the people of Dramia 2 that was led by Dr. McCoy. Spock points out that the termination of his inoculation program followed by a plague could be a coincidence, mm. but Bones doubts his own innocence, hmm. um, and he's gonna ha- he gets arrested. He's going to have to go to trial. In the meantime, Kirk travels from Dramia to Dramia 2 to investigate. He finds one survivor of the plague on the planet who was treated by Dr. McCoy for a different illness, Saurian virus. And that led him to led to him being immune from the plague when everyone else got sick. Mm-hmm. They take the survivor back with him to to serve as a witness to the trial, like one because this guy does not blame McCoy. This guy's like, a man who heals is not also a man who kills, or something like that. <laughs> Okay. So they're bringing him back as like a character witness. Uh-huh. Um, but once they're back on the ship, everyone gets sick. Oh, The survivor of the plague from earlier gets sick. Kirk gets sick. Everyone gets sick except for Spock because for some reason Vulcans are immune. And then they use the knowledge that the treatment for Saurian virus caused immunity before to create a new treatment for this new iteration of the plague and they save everyone on the enterprise and then McCoy is acquitted 
because everyone accepts this and what the witness says as proof that he didn't do it. Cool. Oof, yeah. A lot happens in 22 minutes. <laughs> I watched part of that episode and fell asleep and I kept <laughs> thinking I should try watching it again and I didn't. So I really appreciate your summary. <laughs> yeah, no problem. Uh, <laughs> So what was the what was the thing about this episode related to pandemics that you were interested in talking about? So what it immediately made me think of was this was autism and the false link between autism and vaccinations. Mm. So basically mm. kids get vaccinated around age 2. And around age two is also when autism usually starts to present in children. Mm. And so for a while, there were a lot of parents who would take their kids to get vaccinated, just like all the people of Dramia 2 who got vaccinated for something else, a mass inoculation program. And then a few months later, they would see their children develop autistic symptoms and so it's this scientific principle, correlation does not equal causation. It's a mm -hmm. coincidence. Um, but because of this, we've ended up with this huge cultural backlash to vaccination. Um, first in America is now worldwide. Um, and then historically, this goes back to a scientist named Andrew Wakefield, who published a paper in 1998 in The Lancet, basically saying that vaccines caused autism. Um, within the next five years, everyone else who worked on this paper or who review or who peer reviewed it and approved it retracted it. Um, it has been disproven dozens of times. But it was too late. The virus of this misinformation had, like, made its way into our culture. Yeah, um, It's here. And even at this point, people who it, – it's mutated. The virus of this misinformation is mutated to the point where even people who don't think that childhood vaccines cause autism think that childhood vaccines are dangerous for other reasons. Mm -hmm. um, and among those other reasons are – I, I looked this up. So these are like the top six other reasons. Um, it's a conspiracy and big pharma is trying to kill us. Um, these diseases aren't even that dangerous and they aren't worth the risk. If you get mm. measles, what's the worst that can happen? And it is true that a lot of these diseases, like COVID, don't kill everyone. But they do kill some people. Mm -hmm. Or you can end up blind or deaf or with lifelong problems even if they don't mm -hmm. kill you so it's not true that just because a lot of people used to get measles and were fine a lot of people also used to get measles and died so yeah it's still important to get the mmr vaccine um mm -hmm. this one i don't even know what to say vaccines give you allergies <laughs> okay <laughs> so i think that where that one comes from is some vaccines are suspended in a solution that contains egg albumin, which is like a protein in egg whites. And some people are allergic to eggs. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And so if they were given this vaccine without knowledge that there was eggs in it or not knowledge that they had an egg allergy, they may have had an allergic reaction to vaccines. But it isn't the substance of the um, inoculated virus that you get in your vaccine. It's the suspension fluid. And you can have different fluids. Like, it doesn't have to be made with this egg out. Yeah, they have a a workaround for this now. Yeah. You can get a vegan vaccine. Good to know. Thank you. I didn't know that. (laughs) Um, Vaccines contain dangerous chemicals and then they list a bunch of dangerous chemicals it is true that vaccines contain chemicals that like if you just put like formaldehyde into your bloodstream you might die but they contain them in like such small amounts that they are not dangerous to you um and i saw something really interesting on i follow this epidemiologist called jessica malati her name is jessica malati called her <laughs> name is jessica malati rivera on instagram and she recently posted like if they had an um a paper insert for a strawberry all the chemicals that you'd find in a strawberry Yes. And it looked yes. really scary. But like chemicals, there are chemicals and everything. There are chemicals in your lemonade. If you mm-hmm. it, it, it's just like a it's like a vast misunderstanding of science and like mm-hmm. using big words to scare people. Um and then the last point is a, a child's immune system needs to quote develop naturally. <sighs> um which okay, that sounds great, but like it's not gonna naturally develop against the measles so yeah this is this i think that this one in particular but this whole like just the whole anti-vaxxer movement is the thing that i mentioned at the early in the episode about it technology advancing so much that we forget that we like need it mm-hmm. and the reason that people think that these things are not so bad is because vaccines have been around long enough that the devastating effects of these illnesses are not commonly, like, recognized things anymore. Like, your great-grandparents might have had polio, but your grandparents probably didn't. Your parents definitely didn't. And so you can, like, look around and think, well, nobody's, like, out here being paralyzed for life because of polio, so it must not be that bad. And it's it's only not that bad because we have a vaccine for it. Right. Um yeah, so there's this like this failure of understanding the thing that is actually preventing it from being bad is the thing that is the vaccine. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And like also um, th- this idea that we're so far removed from it uh, kind of goes back to something else. Like this episode was written in the 70s. Mm. And even in the 70s, this is something that people knew about that people would get a vaccine and then get sick from something else and blame the vaccine. Mm -hmm. Anti-vaxxing is the anti-vaxxer movement is something that's existed from the moment vaccines were invented. It just comes and goes in waves. So like Mm -hmm. I gave the history of the modern anti-vaxxer movement, but it existed in the fifties. It existed in the seventies. Otherwise they wouldn't have written this episode. It's just Mm -hmm. perennial. And like the longer that we are, there will always be science deniers and um, when people don't see, like, the the scary thing that we need to protect ourselves from, it's easy to think that the cure can be more dangerous than the, the disease. Yeah. Um, 
The other thing I wanted to talk about in this episode is um, that one alien gets on the ship and then the whole ship gets sick immediately. And again, (laughs) even though he didn't seem like he was sick, they knew he was coming from a planet where everyone died from an illness. If they just isolated him the moment they got on the ship, if the ships had like quarantine protocols for people coming from dangerous places, um, it wouldn't have gotten out of hand. And the moment he showed symptoms and Kirk showed symptoms, they're like, oh, we should quarantine you two. And then they cut away and everyone on the rest of the ship is getting sick. Mm. And it's like too late for the quarantine. Um, And it kind of just reminded me of, again, how people sort of misuse the term quarantine Mm. to mean isolating once you're sick when really it should mean isolating when you've been exposed to see if you're sick and prevent other people from getting sick. Yes. Um, you know, I'm uh, I'm pregnant and my parents are probably coming out here to visit me when I have the baby. Hmm. And we already have a plan for when they get here. They're going to isolate for, I think, 10 days. Um, after their travel because, you know, they're pretty isolated where they live in Ohio, but they're going to have to interact with a whole bunch of people on the way here. Mm -hmm. Then they're going to isolate, make sure they're fine, and then get tested, and then we'll see each other in person without masks. But, Mm -hmm. um, like, this idea that you're only going to quarantine if you have symptoms is sort of a misunderstanding of how quarantining works. Yeah. Yeah, and it's a misunderstanding of like why it is important for testing to be readily available because you need to know if you've been exposed, even if you're not symptomatic. Mm-hmm. If you have a positive COVID test, you need to be isolating because it's you like asymptomatic transmission is probably one of the like primary causes of this like widespread nature of this illness Mm -hmm. and the fact that it has a very long incubation period so people can walk around carrying it without under without like having any symptoms at all and so they may not have known that they needed to get tested but yeah it's very it's very important which i feel like we keep saying and people in the news keep saying again and again and again like you can pass it on without symptoms or you can pass it on before you have symptoms and people still I still hear people say things like, well, I'm not sick. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, you don't know. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. People keep being like, look, I'm fine. I'm like, you don't know, you know? Yeah. I mean, like, it's possible that, like, I've had COVID and passed it to other people and didn't know. You, like, we just, uh, yeah. I'm going to say it a, f- a fourth time. We don't know. we don't know so listen to the experts listen to people whose like life work it is to understand better than you ever could how pandemics work and wear your goddamn masks i only have one more note on that episode which is that it's yeah it's another example of um the cartoons being really cool and like really just taking advantage of the fact that they're cartoons and they can have weird aliens. The aliens in this episode look super alien. They kind of look like giant yellow Wookiees with tentacle fingers. (laughs) It's, it's another reason why the original series cartoon, uh, the animated series cartoon is like kind of fun to watch. It's just like, they make all the aliens look really alien. Yeah. I love that. And I think that that's a, um, 
legacy that the Lower Decks has picked yes. up. And actually, the very first episode of Lower Decks is kind of also a pandemic episode. That's true. Because uh, Ransom brings back this illness and then, like, basically everybody turns into tar puking zombies. It's amazing. And I think, like, having rewatched that after we recorded our Lower Decks episode, I'm like, that's a big reason why I thought it was very Rick and Morty, because mm. it reminds me of my favorite Rick and Morty episode, which is the one with Unity, the, like, hive mind. Oh, yeah. And she, like, takes over bodies by people puking into other people's mouths. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Gross. Rick and Morty's also a very, like, Unity's, like, kind of like the Borg. She's a bit like the Borg, yeah. yeah. I love Unity. Oh, my oh, gosh. What a character. Awesome. So I have a not Trek-related recommendation. Yeah. Uh, it's a book called Spillover, and it's uh, probably 10 years old at this point. It's about viruses and other types of illnesses that tr- that are transmitted between animals and humans. Ooh, like like zoonotic. Zoonotics, exactly. Yeah. Zoonotic diseases. I know a word. And this, like, spillover is the term for the event at point at which it was transmitted from an animal to a human. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, and so, like... Many, if not most, of the very dangerous illnesses that human beings experience are zoonotic. Like they they grew out of animals and then were transmitted to humans. And that's like it's why um, strict safety practices in slaughterhouses are very, very mm. important. And like the key the key takeaway that I got from that book was like, do not fuck with bats. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> like bats are the way that bats immune systems are put together they are just like a powerhouse of disease growth well they don't and they don't get sick themselves so do not fuck do not fuck with bats by which i mean you can look at bats but don't get close enough to touch them definitely don't get close enough for them to like bite you or poop on you or spit on you or whatever don't fucking eat them <laughs> and oh, yeah God. it's just just don't mess with bats man yeah <laughs> they might be cute but you don't need that <laughs> uh, oh, i want to read there's this also now. like a long chapter about aids which is fascinating so recommend that it's called spillover um yeah that's that's what i got so I think we did it. We did it. Pandemic episode, mega episode for y'all. I think we covered all of the epidemics in Star Trek. Probably not. Not even. All the epidemics all that we watched for today, <laughs> we covered. Oh, yeah. And if we missed one, you know, I'm always open to like reading letters from fans on here. So if you think we missed a good one and you want to give your two cents, like right, right into us. Yeah. We could not have watched all of them, but we watched a lot of them. You're welcome. Stay safe. I'm going to say it one more time. Wear your masks. Live long and prosper. Peace and long life. 
Intertractional is a production of Federation and Fempire, written and produced by Ryan Ascalese and Becca Motola Barnes. Original music by Danny Kavka. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Intertractional. We want to hear from you. Join our Facebook group to discuss this episode with us and other fans. Email us at intertractional at gmail.com. You can even send us a voice memo. Visit our website at intertractional.com for show notes, images, and citations. Intertractional is available on all podcast platforms, including Apple Podcasts. If you like this podcast, you can help others find it by taking a moment to rate and review us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps. You can donate to us at paypal.me slash Federation and Fempire, or you can become a member of our member feed on PodFan, that is pod.fan slash intertractional. But I, I really want to hear his side of it because he's like, it's not just that I was hot. Like, they wanted me around, <laughs> guys. <laughs> <laughs>